Morning. So three kids? We need to pray that more people are having babies. Come on. Some of you guys. Elvis, have some more. We need more babies. Right? Isn't that the first command in Scripture? Technically it is. Be fruitful and multiply. So there was no special music, but you know that you are the special music this week. So sing with me. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, praise and honor and glory be to you. We pray that the Spirit of the Lord is here. That it's not my will or any of our wills, but that the will of the Lord shines forward. And that you are glorified. And that we realize that you have built this community on the foundation of love. We pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So in the 19th century, there was a very famous European yeshiva. Now most of you probably do not know what a yeshiva is. Yeshiva is basically the Hebrew word for a seminary. So there was a very famous yeshiva where they decided we are going to be the humblest yeshiva. So for, for all of these, and, and, and it was really taken on by storm, and more and more people were joining this seminary, and they felt we are humble. And so what they would do is every morning, 30 minutes for 30 minutes in their study hall, in their study room, they would, have you ever seen the people at the, pray, at the prayer walls? You know, uh, they, they, they would say, I am nothing, I am nothing, I am nothing. And for 30 minutes, they would chant, I am nothing, I am nothing, I am nothing. Well, it was noted that after a year or so, they received a new student. And the student came in at their humility time, we'll call it. I am nothing, I am nothing, I am nothing. And there were hundreds of students saying, I am nothing, I am nothing, I am nothing. And the student came in and said, what's going on? And he goes back outside and he checks the sign at the, you know, am I really at the right place? And, okay. And he comes in. And he gets down and he says, I am nothing, I am nothing, I am nothing. And the guy next to him said, you got some nerve. I've been here a year and I just became nothing. <laughs> the irony in that story is, here is a story about humility. And the guy felt pride in his humility. Sometimes we have things mixed up. Now, as you know, if you go to the context, I am a firm believer in context. When you study your scripture, there are so many of us that do not understand the context of what's going on. I mean, we do this in regular life. 
we make statements that are sometimes judgmental or sometimes inappropriate, not necessarily because they are inappropriate in themselves, but because we don't understand their context. Have you ever read the book, the, what is, the one by Stephen Covey, what is it, the, the Habits of the, the Seven Habits? Do you remember the story where he says he's on the train and there's, some, there's a father who's sitting there and he's got these unruly kids? Do you guys remember that? Unruly kids, and they're, they're, you know, they're just going crazy, and the father's doing nothing. And finally, Stephen Covey says, hey, there's some people that are, are sort of bothered by your kids. They're out of control. And the father, he sort of wakes out of this daze, and he says, sorry. We were just at the hospital, and their mother just died on the table, and I don't think any of us really know how to react. And the people around totally changed their view because they understood the context. And we look at things differently if we just understand context. But sometimes we make these blanket statements and we, and we don't understand it, and then we make these different assumptions because of it. Well, I want you to understand the context of Romans. Because it is very important, because we have made theological assumptions that don't necessarily belong because we don't understand the context. Well, you must understand, and we've talked about this before in the next slide, is that the context of the Roman church is that the Jewish converts and the Gentile converts were fighting on who was more right, who was better. Do any of you guys know where it's believed he wrote the letter to the Romans? Not in jail, in Corinth. Now, if you would put those two books together, and we're going to see this just a little bit today, they parallel a lot of things. And the idea of the letter to the Corinthians was, we're better. I'm better than you. You're better than me. And remember Paul at the beginning of the letter of Corinthians, he said, some of you are saying, I'm from Apollos. Some of you are saying, I'm from Paul. And some of you guys are even saying, well, I'm from Jesus. Beat that one. Trumped you all. I'm from Jesus. He said, that's good I didn't baptize any of you guys. Because you all think you're better than everybody else. That was happening in Rome. They're all thinking that they're better than the other factions. I'm glad that in the Seventh-day Adventist church, we never do this. My church is better than that church. Or within the church, we have conservatives and liberals. I mean, I know that doesn't happen in this church, but in other churches where there are factions that fight against each other. Well, this is how I believe worship should be done, and I feel this is better. And, and obviously, I am holier. I mean, we don't say that, but we imply it that I know better than the next person. There were, there, were churches, there were churches that I've been a part of or at least been associated with that I know that they feel that they are better than other churches. And it is even within the denomination. We are kings at division. Do you agree? We are great at making divisions. And he said, that's enough. 
That's what this whole point is. It's, it's saying you're all in the same boat. Do you remember the context? Whether you're a Jewish convert, whether you're a Gentile convert, no matter who you are, we all fall short of the glory of God. Hence, it's God's grace. It's always been God's grace. I don't care who you are. You might be Moses. You might be Elijah. It's always been about God's grace. So, we come to Romans chapter 12. This is the last, last section of Romans that we're getting to. But I want to show, before we understand, remember, context is also literary context. You know, like if you're watching a movie, have you ever watched a movie and you'd go right in the middle of the movie, like you walk into the room, and so, and you know these people, they're all like, so what's happening? Why didn't you watch it? Or the worst is when they're in the room, and then they're asking, well, what's happening? Well, what are you doing? And then you see them on their phone and going like this. And then, oh, hey, what's happening? Come on, watch it. And that's what's happening here is a lot of times we take this out of the context and we're saying, well, what's happening? Oh, and then I interpret this without understanding the context. So Romans chapter 11, verses 30 and 31 say this. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their, of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in, in order that they may now, they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. What word did you hear over and over there? Mercy. Mercy. God's mercy is the theme here. And if you remember Romans chapter 11, it says there is one trunk to the tree. Some people were broken off, and you guys were grafted in if you were a Gentile convert, but we're all part of that same tree. I think at times we wish that the tree trunk had... Then I don't have to actually touch that person. I just can be over here, and I can believe the way I want... But, but God says, no, 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 we're all different, but we're all part of this one trunk. So get along. So we come to the text that we read, and it's Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and it says this, and 2. Therefore, because of God's mercy, you'll see that, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to <clears throat> offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, you might all have your opinions on what it means to be a living sacrifice and to conform to the world and be transformed. The scripture itself, if you read on, will tell you what it is that it means. But before we get there, I want to define two words in Greek. All right? Remember, I'm a Hebrew guy, so I'm going to have to read this. The word that is, trans uh, that is translated conform is sus 
kematizomai. I don't know if you want to repeat that after me. Sus kematizomai. I was just talking to Hunter earlier. I was like, the, the issue I have with German is they don't know how to make short words. They have words that are like 28 letters long. And so it's, that's the run-on sentence. You know, it's a run-on word. It's just like boop, 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 boop. You add it all together. Um, it's a beautiful language. But they make long words. Same with Greek. Sus kematizomai. It means to follow the shape of whatever, uh, whatever you call those. What do you call the like the ornament things or whatever, um, like whatever stamp or or form you have. Yeah, you you follow that and you conform to that, but you actually don't change at all. You just sort of fit wherever it is. Now the other word where you, you, will under, you will see the root here, metamorphomai, where you get metamorphosis, means actually to change what you are. So one is saying you just become something that whatever the temperature is around. Here's, here's how we'll say it. You can either be a thermometer or a thermostat. I've read this somewhere. If you are the thermometer, you just show the temperature of what's going on around you. If it changes here, then I change also. If you are the thermostat, you are the one. There is actual change happening. Change within and change without. This says there is actual change happening within you. But what is that change? Romans 12, verse 3, it says this. For by grace, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. What was the problem in Rome? Everybody thought they were better than everybody else. I am holier than you. And he says, you want to know what real transformation is? Because everybody here believes that that's okay to feel you're better than somebody else. Real transformation is that you make yourself, you feel that you're lower than everybody else. Isn't that what Jesus did? That's real transformation. And we know this as Christians, but we don't do it. And he goes like this. Remember, if you understand the context, and I think it's hard for us to understand the context because we didn't live there. If I were a Jew and somebody was associating me with a Gentile back in biblical times, that was a slap in the face. And it was becoming the same way to them. It was almost like the Hatfields and the McCoys, if you know that story, the, the history there. Don't ever call me that. But he says this, starting with verse 4. Just as each of you, each of us, has one body with many members, many parts, you know, fingers, arms, nose, eyes, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we are many... Are, we are many, wait, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs 
to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace God has given us. If a man's gift is prophecy, or prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is distributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. You're all part of the same family. You actually are all one body. And you have different functions. Well, we don't like that. We don't like, we like uniformity more than, uni, than real unity, right? I mean, when you get married, come on. I mean, this, you learn these new conflicts, you're like, well, she'll come to my side. She'll understand. You know, that's why I married younger. So I could mold her the way that I wanted to. It doesn't work. <laughs> We're all part of one. So even though you have different functions, you are one. And that's because of God's mercy. So now that you know you're one, how are you going to treat each other? That's the whole point of this last section. He says, I've given you the theology. It's all because of God's mercy. You can claim by the grace of God eternal life over death and sorrow and crying and pain. You can claim that. But how are you going to treat each other? So we're going to read this because I think Romans 12 is one of the greatest chapters never read. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. By the way, did you ever read that in Corinth? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that's the same thing. He's mirroring the same letter. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Again, think of yourself lower. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, meaning don't get revenge. Be careful, what, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, I like this, that he says this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, to live at peace with everybody. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, give him food. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you're going to heap burning coals on his head. And this statement, which is in the next verse, is what sums it up. 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what it says is when somebody does something bad to you, you give them a cookie. And if they do two bad things to you, you buy them a dozen donuts. If they do ten bad things to you, you invite them to your house for lunch. You give them the shirt off your back. It says, no matter what bad stuff they do to you, overcome that evil with doing good. Do you understand why it says, do not conform to the world? Because the world says, whether it says it or not, like in the Count of Monte Cristo, you'll feel better if you get back. If you get even, you feel better. Right? But what he says is, you need to renew your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which actually says, Overcome every evil thing by doing something good. How great is that? Because if you remember correctly, in Romans chapter 5, it says, Jesus died for you. Not when you were just sinners. It says that, when you were sinners. But while we were enemies. While we were enemies of God, he overcame evil with good. That is the gospel. So hopefully, if it's transforming us, the Holy Spirit's in me, I am doing the same thing. I'm not gossiping about my brother and sister. I am doing things that are good towards them. That is transformative. We're going to go through a couple things fairly quickly because we are ending Romans. Because he has it. And remember, in, when he wrote a letter, and I don't know when you guys write letters. We don't write letters anymore. Um, emails? Not even emails anymore. When you write texts, do you do it with verses and chapters and stuff like that? I doubt it. I don't know many people that wrote letters with chapters and verses. This was all one letter. And so he says this, and it's, a, it's important. Remember, it says, do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then the next statement it says in chapter 13, it says, everyone must submit himself to governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, some people have real issue with this. And I don't know, we could bring up names, whether, whether, it's, whether it's Trump or Obama, or, or we can even go more extreme if it's, if it's Hitler. And people are like, right there, it says that God established them. So submit to them. That is not the point of the text. The context was, if there is evil being done, you overcome evil with good. Never let the governing authorities say, that guy's doing bad. 
And that guy goes to church. We should rise above every other citizen. Do you agree? We should be the best citizens out there. Now, it's clear if there was anything that is against what, the, what God says in the government, then we don't do it. Daniel did that. Remember? Daniel, there was a law made, and, the, and Darius was tricked into this. There was a law made. You only pray to Darius for a month. He says, nope. Opens the windows. He prays. They find him. He said, hey, we're going to throw you somewhere. Lion's den. Mouth was closed. They go out. Now, remember, the other guys were thrown in. They couldn't even hit the floor. But Daniel was so loved by Darius that Darius couldn't sleep. Can you imagine how great of a citizen Daniel was? That somebody who believed different than this king, and this king said, this is my, beloved, my most beloved servant. I hope your God takes care of you during this time. I can't do anything because that's the law. But he loved this civil servant. Are you that citizen? Can people say, man, Barbara, you know, she's great for the community. That's what he's saying here. As much as possible, be a great citizen. Because that's reflecting Christ. I'm not going to read that whole chapter. He does allude to that a little bit more. And then he's, he talks about love again. And he says, love is so important. Love should be your driving force. But I do want to hit Romans 14 a little bit because somebody asked me about this. Because it's part of the context too. And Romans chapter 14 starts this way. He says, Accept him whose faith is weak. Without passing judgment on disputable matters, one man's faith may allow him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Oh, this sounds so to home. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God accepts him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. He will stand for the Lord. Uh, for, wait, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to sort of talk out of both sides. Now, for you that didn't grow up Seventh-day Adventist, I want you to understand this, because uh, not a, I, I don't want to make that assumption that you know what's going on um, within our context. Within our context. Seventh-day Adventism, we're, we're, we're built on biblical truth. And part of our message also is health message. We believe in healthy living overall. We believe that the, that the Old Testament Levitical law of health, which means you don't, the Jews of old didn't eat things like pork or certain like shellfish, um, bottom feeders, Certain kind of animals, you can read it on your own. It's Leviticus 11. That's not the point here. Because those are health laws. 
People don't understand that. We've, we have spiritualized those laws, but they're health laws. They're just basic health laws. I mean, it, it's sort of like saying, that's just not healthy for you. I mean, the world has gotten on this. There are movies, like there's a movie called Forks Over Knives. There's another one. I'm going to say it correctly. It's on Netflix. I, I haven't watched it, but somebody just recommended it. It's called What the Health? And it's, and it's all about there are some really unhealthy things that people are putting in front of you. And we're loving it. We're addicted to it, and it's killing us. That's what these were here for. If you understand, you understand, you guys know, well, many of you know that my undergrad's biology. If you understand that the purpose of those animals, I mean, the pig was basically created, the way it's designed was created to eat garbage. That's awesome. You have garbage trucks. But in an animal, it cleans up garbage. So we don't have to just leave garbage everywhere. A pig comes around, eats poo and stuff like that, and all the leftover stuff. I don't want to eat garbage. That's it. That's all it's saying. This isn't, this isn't attacking that, where it's talking about food. It doesn't say that at all. Let's read on a little bit more, but I am going to balance it out. One man, so we're going to go to verse 5, because it was talking about food. Now it says, one man considers one day more sacred than another. One man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does, does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. He who abstains does so uh, to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives himself to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And people have said, outside of our context, there he got rid of the health laws, which that would be ridiculous in this. They would have never thought that. And second is, well, that's where he got rid of the Sabbath, or part of the and that would be ridiculous at that time. Because even Paul, if you read the book of Acts, especially like in Acts 13, he was still, as his custom, going to Shabbat services. And the Gentiles would join him, the Gentile converts. So it makes no sense it's talking about that. It was talking about all these other festivals that they were starting, that they were making. Not even the biblical ones. They're just making all these festivals and... and we're saying, well, I'm keeping more than you. So I'm holier. I'm eating better than you. So I'm holier. You want to know what the point of this chapter is? It's verse 10. It says this. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to, to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. What he's saying is, why are you judging other people? That's the point of this chapter. That's the whole point of this second half of the book. Is why are you looking to other people? You have your own walk with God. 
Why are you concerned about that person? Do you remember when Peter was asking about John at the end of his life after Jesus was resurrected? And he says, Jesus says, well, he said something that alludes to, to Peter's death. He was going to be persecuted and die. And so Peter goes, well, look at that disciple. What's going to happen to him then? And Jesus says, oh, I'll tell you. Is that what he says? He says, why are you concerned about him? You don't even have to be concerned about him. You have your own walk. Let me walk with him. I'll be the one to walk with him. The point of this chapter is not about getting rid of health laws and the Sabbath. He's just saying people are judging people over minuscule things. Don't do it. We're a foundation of love. We're a community of love. And remember the context? Where was this written in? Corinth. Corinth mirrors the same thing. So when he's talking about the food, he's probably talking about food that was offered to idols. That is the context of this. They were doing the same stuff. It was not about what's healthy or not. It was just about food that was offered to idols. There's so much to this, and I wish we had more time, but, but this is a class, 101 class, and, and we're doing a survey here. But he's saying don't judge. And you know what's important about that? Let, let me ask you a question. What does more damage to a person's spirit? What they eat or me tearing them down through my judgment? Oh, I've seen it. The backstabbing, the gossip. Oh, it does way more damage than a piece of meat. He's saying don't judge Don't be the unhealthier thing. You can be the unhealthiest brother and sister here. Me too. Don't do it. And I'm going to balance this out. As now I'm going to speak, and some of you guys might not be familiar, I am going to speak as a Seventh-day Adventist. We believe in the counsels of this lady who we believe was a very spiritual lady. Her name is Ellen White. You may have heard of her. You may not have heard of her. I am going to read a couple of quotes from Ellen White that when I read them, my mind was blown away. Here's one of them. This is in the manuscript, one in, from 1890. Do you not remember that we have individual accountability? We do not make articles of diet a test question. What it says is you are accountable to yourself, but we do not make it a test of fellowship. That's what test question means. We do not make articles of diet a test question, but we try to educate the intellect and arouse the moral sensibility to take hold of health reform and in an intelligent manner as Paul represents in these verses. Do you know what Ellen White said? Never, because I'll get to the other one that talks about swine's flesh specifically, never should diet be whether we baptize somebody or not. Have we followed that? I don't hear any answer. Have we followed that? Collectively? No. We preach about this. There, I know there are people that have not been baptized because of their dietary habits. That is against, not just against Scripture, that is against the counsel of our divine-inspired author. 
Let me read the next one. Manuscript 15, 1889. If you are a Bible doer as well as a Bible reader, you must understand from the scripture that swine's flesh was prohibited by Jesus Christ and shrouded by a billowy cloud. So it's not good. But this is not a test question. Avoid meat eating, not because it's regarded as a sin to eat meat, but because it's not helpful. If we are determining what we believe somebody is, is holy enough to get baptized, when scripturally all it says is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and your household will be saved, I'm a little bit nervous if I am that judge that determines that. Do you know that in the book Ellen White and Vegetarianism, there is a, a quote uh, concerning, and this was printed by Pacific Press years ago, uh, concerning a vision that she had in 1858. And it says that she had a rebuke against brother, brother and sister A. You know that she did that, or they did that when they for unduly urging abstinence from pork as a test of fellowship. People were saying, well, for you to join, you got to get rid of it. you got to get rid of it. And she said, you got to stop doing that because you are going to push them away and let the Spirit do what the Spirit wants to do. Let them grow on their own path, you know? If it's really not healthy, the Spirit will let them know, right? That's what it says. And then, sort of to end this off, I know there's a chapter 16, but that's more of the, the admonitions to, to specific people. But in chapter 15, I believe she, uh, the Apostle Paul is concluding this chapter. And you'll see it in the context. He says this, We who are strong, verse 1, ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. I'm going to continue a little bit more. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. We are always to build other people up. This is the point of Romans here, the second half. We're all saved by grace. It doesn't matter what your background is. Now the point is you've got to love your neighbor. And I'm going to finish with the admonition here. May, God, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves. Do you see it according to the context? You're one as, as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles, and I will sing hymns to your name. Again, it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, 
and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, Jesse will, will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, the Gentiles will hope, will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. To sum it up, there is a statement that Jesus says that I, should, that I believe should be our, ma- our mantra. He says, they will know that you are my disciples. How? By your love for one another.